0: In Second Kings chapter 18. this particular chapter is one of the more comical All right, first Kings. what did I say? Second. Second, I just want to skip ahead a little bit. First <laughs> <laughs> Kings, chapter 18. Uh, this is one of the more comical stories in the Bible. Uh, probably the one that's more funny than this one would be Balaam talking to his donkey. Uh, I find that one very funny. Um, But we're going to look at this one. It has got a lot of humor involved in it. And let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Help us to see what you would want us to see through this chapter and ask you to guide and lead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've left uh, Elijah. He had been, he went to Ahab. He said, it's not going to rain until I say that it rains. God told him to go into hiding. He went out by the brook. He stayed at the brook until it uh, dried up. Then God took him all the way from the brook, which was in the central eastern side of uh, Israel, all the way to the far north to Zarephath, where he stayed with a widow for the remaining time. And now we get a time marker in this chapter and, uh, as to how much time has gone by. So starting at verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and there was sore famine in Samaria. So we're going to stop there because this is God changing his direction. He's been in hiding. It's kind of a very funny thing. He goes, Ahab, it's not going to rain, and then God says, run. God does not tell his people to run and hide very often. But he told him to go and run, and God came up and saw him in the third year of Ahab. If we look in the New Testament in Luke Uh, chapter 4 verse 25 Jesus tells us that it was three years six months that he had been in hiding and in James in James 5 17 it repeats the same thing three years six months so he talked to Ahab one time and disappeared and you gotta think about this they did not have a lot of pumps for water their fields are devastated it talks about here. Not only was there rain, but there is a famine all through Samaria. People are getting hungry. This is one of the things about the widow of Zarephath when he asked for food. Remember, all she had was that little handful of of flour, you know, flour in the pot. It wasn't going to be replaced anytime soon. the The crops were not growing. They weren't being watered. They could not grow them. Uh, and we're going to find out how bad it was as, as we continue in this chapter. But major problems have been occurring since Elijah said no rain. And remember when we talked about the rain wasn't just rain, but it was dew, it was mist. There is no moisture for three and a half years hitting the land. So this is a big deal. Verse 3, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land unto unto all the fountains of water and unto the brooks. Preventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it and Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another by himself. So we're looking at this, and we start out here, Ahab called Obadiah. Now I'm just going to clarify that this is not the Obadiah that wrote the book. okay? This is not the prophet Obadiah. There are no less than 13 Obadiahs in the Bible. All right? Obadiah was a very popular name. This one, though is a leader. He, is the, uh, he controls the entire house of Ahab and Jezebel. He is a trusted trusted man and it's very interesting that he's a believer in God. Now this brings a question, did Ahab know that this man followed God and didn't care because of how well he ran things? Or did he not know that this man was a follower of God because remember when we talked about Ahab, he is one of he at, at that point is the most wicked king of Samaria. Now, as we read his story, we find out that Ahab was not necessarily that wicked his wife was a terror alright his wife was awful so it is possible that Ahab knew of Obadiah's relationship with God but didn't care because he was a good good man he got everything he needed done for him but it says that Ahab called this and then we have this little side verse and it's in parentheses in the King James Obadiah was a a feared God greatly and it says, and so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, literally destroyed the prophets of the Lord. Right? Most people believe that this was in response to Elijah's saying no rain. May not have been right that day, but when, when rain stopped coming, she went after the prophets. Her main goal, of obviously, was Elijah, and she's not going to find him, and Ahab's not going to find him. But she kills and she gives out orders and and very clearly says she's the one that gives out the orders to kill the prophets. And Obadiah collects 100 prophets and puts them into caves and it says he feeds them bread and water. Now, this is where it stops on that little parenthesis. But you want to think about this. Number one, how much is it going to cost to feed and water 100 people in a normal time? This is during famine and no rain. Water and food is at a premium at this point in time. It doesn't say that, but you know that it is. You know, we all know as things get more and more scarce, things get expensive. He's feeding a hundred prophets for a long period of time their bread and water at least twice a day to keep them alive. Now, my question was, is he doing this out of his own pocket? Or is he siphoning off some of the king's goods? And I think because he's a godly man, it's out of his own pocket. All right? Uh, because it would, not be, it would not be godly. He would not be following God to have taken from the king. But when I first thought of it, i go, wouldn't it be poetic justice if Jezebel's trying to kill him and she's, paying, she's, and she's feeding them? Uh, but I don't think he would have done that. That just would not, It would not fit a godly man to do that. Uh, but he is taking care of a hundred profits and keeping them alive. How long we don 't know we don 't because we don 't know exactly when this uh, order was made, probably at least a year or two, maybe the whole three and a half that he 's been taking care of these profits and it 's getting more expensive with every passing day to take care of them. So we see that his character and we see his character also because it says. Um, in verse 5, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to the waters, and the fountains, to all the brooks, pre eventually we may find some grass, and save the horses and mules alive, lest we lose all the beasts. This gives us an idea of how bad this famine is. The animals are suffering. They're ready to lose all their animals. And, and Ahab's saying, we need, to go find, we need to find any place where there's some water. Any place where there's some grass that we can feed these, these animals so that we don't lose everything. Three and a half years of no moisture is going to use up the reserves. If you're a farmer, you might, if you're a good farmer, you've got a reserve of seed for one year, maybe two. We're going into the third year. The farmers are out of seed. They're out of grass. They're out of hay. They're, people are killing their animals to, to eat because there's nothing else to have. The animals are dying. They're getting scrawny because they've got no food to eat. All right, you've used up whatever hay you have, there's no, no grass growing and Ahab says to Obadiah, we're gonna go out. This shows us that Obadiah is a trusted servant. He says we're gonna go out and it says they divided up the land between them to pass thereof and Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now if we read this we're literally saying two guys are going out to check all of Israel by themselves and I don't think that's what it's saying. I believe that it's saying there were no other leaders with them. They took their entourages with them. There would be no way for two people <laughs> to go out and search out the whole land. But what is this saying? That, that Ahab did not trust his other dukes, princes, to go out and find, the, find the, any, any grass and bring it back. He knew Obadiah's reputation. Obadiah was the type of man that if he found it, he was going to bring it back or at least bring news and say here it is and he would leave a guard or something around it and bring the animals to it and you know we all know how that is you know, politicians have not changed over the years they've always done what's good for themselves and so this shows you the character of Obadiah and it is possible that it literally means they went by themselves but it just doesn't make sense to me that two people are going to go out and search the entire land I believe they went out with their with a small group of people uh, his entourage and went out and searched out. I could be wrong, uh, and I did, and I searched the commentaries to see what they did, and they and we have about 50-50 split on that. Some commentaries say they went out by themselves because that's what it says. Some some say that they went out with everybody. I just think they went out with everybody. It, it doesn't make much sense, you know. Israel it was a pretty large land, right? That would be like us trying to leave chloride and send two people out of chloride to go find water, all right? Uh, every nook and cranny around here. You know, I want you to search every nook and cranny around. And by the way, there's only two of you to do it, and you know it would take forever for two people to go out and search every nook and cranny because you go down these side roads and all of a sudden you're in a you're in a di- you're in a ditch and in a in a in and another spot and it's a valley over there and a valley over here and you don't see it driving down the road but there are little valleys and vales and and ditches and and probably watering holes all over here if you know where to look. And so I don't believe that it was just the two of them. I think they went out in a group, but it was just Obadiah was the one. He says, I trust you. I know that if you find grass, you're not going to graze your horses on it. You're going to get it back to the kingdom, and we're going to take care of as many animals as possible because he knew that his other ones would do what was good for them, which just take care of their animals. And uh, so we're seeing this, the desperation in Ahab uh, over three and a half years no rain no food the, the stores are gone their canned goods are gone their, everything is disappearing uh, there's nothing left other than the animals that they're killing no no fresh f- vegetables no flour because it has become a premium now what little there have Ahab probably had he was king he probably confiscated most of what was available but there's not going to be much available and so we see this they go out and then we see in verse 7 kind of an interesting picture here and as Obadiah was on the way behold Elijah met him and he knew him and fell on his face and said are you my lord Elijah and he answered him I am go tell your Lord behold Elijah is here and he said what have I what have I sinned that you would deliver your servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me As the Lord lives, your God lives, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord hath not sent to seek you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and the nation, and they found you not. And now you say, Go tell the Lord, my uh, your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass that as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry you where I do not know. And so I will come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, and he will slay me, but your servant fears the Lord from my youth. And we're going to stop there. He's out looking for water. And he's going to find better than water, because he's going to find Elijah, who is the one that said no water. But he comes out, and he recognizes Elijah. How popular and how well-known Elijah was, we don't know, but Obadiah is either seen him or seen pictures of him or knows his reputation or whatever Elijah uh, Obadiah knows him and bows down before him and says are you Elijah three and a half years Ahab and Jezebel have been looking for Elijah and this is what he tells us they've been looking for you Um, and he goes and he's gone he's afraid Elijah's been hidden for three and a half years he's almost afraid that you know there has been other people apparently that have said Elijah's over here Elijah's over here and when the king gets there there's no Elijah and obviously what he has done is when they've given him a false information or Elijah's not there he's killed the he's killed the messenger so here Obadiah is saying what have I done <laughs> what sin have I done that you're out here to to have me dead um, you know, because when I go back and you're not here, and he fully expected Elijah not to be there, because that's what he says. When I go to him and you're, and you're not here, Ahab will kill me. And then he gives this, this statement, and it's kind of interesting. He says that they have looked in every nation. And he's made, and it shows you how powerful Ahab is, even amongst the nations. He goes, in the nations that he went and asked about you, he made them swear an oath that they did not know you. Now this can only happen to people he has somewhat control over or has has a relationship with. Tyre would have been one of those. That was his his, uh, father-in-law. He had vassal states of Moab and Edom. There is no way he went to Egypt and and made Egypt swear an oath. He was not strong enough to be able to make Egypt. He would not be strong enough to make Syria swear an oath. But basically, he, everywhere he went to search and they said, no, we don't, we don't know where he is, he made them swear that they did not know where he was to God or the God, whatever God they had. So he's going, okay, you're obviously telling. Now, why he never went to Zerarath, I don't know. How come Elijah never, his, his uh, testimony never went out? We don't know. But he's not found in the whole time he's at Zerarath. Now, it could be that Ahab looked real hard for him for about six months to a year, and he's hidden out at the brook where nobody knows where he's at. And by the time he moves to Zarephath, Ahab's still looking for him, but not actively. If you've ever looked for something, you look real hard for a period of time, and if you can't find it, you're going to, oh, well, I'll find it eventually, and it kind of goes back in the back of your mind. You want to find it. But it's not that big a deal. That could be what has happened here. But Obadiah is very concerned. (laughs) Yeah, you want me to go tell Ahab that you're here? When we get back, God's going to move you. And the language on this is kind of interesting. It goes that the Spirit... uh, Let's see, where was it? Uh, Verse 12. That the spirit of the Lord shall carry you hither, and I know not where, so that when I come to tell Ahab, you won't be here." His idea literally was, you have been hidden for three and a half years. It must be the Spirit who's moving you around so there's no trace of you. And this is not too far-fetched in an idea. if you read the story of Philip when he goes and talks to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's on the desert road with the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he says the next thing he does, he finds himself in another town, which I don't remember. But it's, it's 200 miles away. He says he just finds himself. The spirit literally picks him up, moves him to a new town. All right, This is not an uncommon feature that, that is throughout the scripture. Uh, we see Enoch was not. He was just taken completely. We're going to see Elijah taken. God has the full power to move people wherever He wants. And this is what Obadiah is saying. You know, I'm going to come back with Ahab, and you're not going to be here, and I'm going to die. All right? So this is a concern. Obadiah is fearful. Yeah, and all these guys have this idea that somehow there's sin in their life that they have not confessed and not had repented of. And we see this anytime an angel or, or, or God shows up to people, the first thing they say, Oh no, I'm a dead man. Okay? God comes, tells you He's got a plan for you, and your response is, I'm dead. It doesn't make sense to me, but it also shows how these guys had a sense of their, their, their guilt before God, that they knew they were sinners. Uh, we see this over and over, even in the New Testament. Uh, Zechariah. And, and Elizabeth, he comes, the angel comes and he thinks he's going to be killed. Be, you know, and God says, no, I told you you're going to have a kid. Why would I kill you? <laughs> uh, Mary has a fear. Joseph has that fear. You know, I've seen an angel, uh, something so holy I deserve to die. And it may be that they're impressed by the holiness of God. What does J- uh, Saul do when he sees the angel on the, on the road to Damascus? He immediately recognizes uh, this is God. the holiness enveloped him and surrounded him and he knew whose presence he was even though he said who are you? (laughs) Uh, He still knew because the righteousness came in and so we're seeing here Obadiah has this fear. God I've been serving you I've been taking care of these prophets and now you want me to die? Because he was told to go And 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 like I say it doesn't tell us in Scripture, but apparently others had said that we've seen Elijah because this is what he expected. He expected to die. If Elijah's not there, he's expecting to die. All right, verse 13. To help him get his point across, go, and was it not told to my Lord that what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water, and now you say go and tell my your lord behold elijah is here and he shall slay me and elijah said as the lord of hosts lives before whom i stand i will surely show show myself to him today so Ad- obadiah went to meet ahab and told him and ahab went to meet elijah all right we have obadiah he's panicking you know all right are you really going to be here and then he gets this whole story you know hey you know Aren't you aware? Now I don't know if he believed that God would have told Elijah about this special event or if he somehow thought that maybe the, un- the, the, the Christian underground had told him what was going on uh, or if he's just making a point. I'm a, I'm a believer in God. I've, I've hidden these people. And in case you didn't know, this is what I've done. Making a point. You don't want me to die. that I'm protecting 100, 100 prophets of the Lord. There's no indication whether Elijah knew, believed, or even cared. Because right? later on, we're going to see Elijah say, I'm the only one. Even though Obadiah has told him there's a hundred of them. And then later on, God's going to say, I have a thousand that have bent, not bent their knee. So uh, Elijah is kind of just as hard-headed as any of us. You know, It's an amazing thing, and we have to understand, we look at these prophets, we look at these, these men in the Bible they were men. They made mistakes, they made bad decisions, they did wrong things and God still used them. Just as Gary was saying about Amos, all this judgment, judgment, judgment at the very end, if you repent, I will will take care of you. And this is what God does with all of his people. We repent and God uses us. We get saved and repent and God uses us in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be used you know because every one of us have issues in our life some a lot more issues than others but all of us have issues (laughs) that we have to deal with and I think one of I, I Elijah's is he's a little bit proud I said it wasn't gonna rain and it hasn't rained for three and a half years by by the way God I'm the only one talking for you I'm the only one out here talking for you I haven't I haven't heard of another prophet out there. Well, 100 of them being hid, others are hiding. Why? Because Jezebel is trying to kill them. If they say anything, Jezebel is going to kill them. And she is the type of person who will kill them. She's already killed a bunch of them. This is why Obadiah put a uh, 100 of them away, which shows that he had faith. He knows that God is going to win in the end, and he wants some trained prophets. And something we don't necessarily understand. The idea of a prophet, basically, we would use the term pastor. Okay, uh, Isaiah and and Jeremiah and Elijah—they run a school of for the prophets. All right, so they're not teaching them to be prophets as far as predicting the future. They're teaching them how to understand the word of God, how to teach the word of God, just as pastors go to Bible colleges and seminaries to learn how to handle the word of God. So. These prophets were not necessarily guys just running around predicting the future. These guys were speaking because the word for prophet literally means to speak with authority for for God. And most of the time it was just teaching and speaking. So in essence, pastors technically are prophets if they're really teaching with authority from God. Now there are many of them that aren't. They don't deserve the title prophet, but they if they're actually out there teaching the word of God, speaking with authority they're prophets. And so Obadiah has hidden away a hundred people that understand the word of God and are ready to, when things turn around, they're ready to come out and teach. So he's building up a hundred missionaries just waiting for the day that they can go out and preach and teach. And so we see this going on and Elijah goes to him and says, you know, I swear by god that i will be here when you come back go get ahab and i promise you that i will be right here when you get back you're not going to die i am ready to show myself to ahab and obadiah leaves now one other thing is we don't know how long it takes him to find rahab remember they were going opposite directions it doesn't sound like Obadiah had gone very far when he met, met Elijah. So it means he doesn't have very far to go, but Ahab's going the opposite direction looking for things. Now when he comes to find him, he's got it pretty easy. Obadiah just has to ra- race real quick down the roads and try to find him because uh, Ahab is searching. But he's going to go find Ahab, and he's going to bring Ahab back to see Elijah. What a meeting this is going to be. Uh, Ahab wants to kill Elijah. And Elijah saying, I'm waiting right here for him. Just bring, it, bring him back. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Are you he that troubles e- Israel? And he answered him, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. You also have followed Baalim, And therefore, now therefore, send and gather to me all of Israel uh, unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves, four hundred, and which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. This is why you can understand Ahab is really not a really really bad guy it's going to be his wife as we're gonna see as we go on who's really pushing him but he does what he's told Elijah says go call the people go gather the go gather the prophets and he does it you know, and I love this thing Ahab comes to him and go you're the troubler of Israel how many times are Christians and the righteous called the troublers of the country You guys, we just wouldn't have problems if you guys just wouldn't keep reminding us about our sin. If you didn't keep telling us about our sin and that God is judging it, we wouldn't have any problems whatsoever. Well, their problems would be increased. They just don't know it. But this is what usually happens. There's a desperate thing here. They're seeking it. They're going out alone. And he comes out and he accuses Elijah of being the problem. Why? Because Elijah was the one that called down the curse and said the curse was coming but he doesn't recognize that the curse came because of his actions and and you know if you've dealt with friends that aren't Christians or anything they'll accuse you of being the problem you know we used to have so much fun when we used to go out drinking all the time and now i feel so miserable and and you don't want to go out and do this you think you're better than i am and it's all your fault and and they uh, blame you it's not uncommon it's not uncommon. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve where they blamed each other. You know, and, we, and we'll go back to that story. And, and remember, Abraham. Uh, Abraham Adam you know, looked to God and said, uh, well, God, it's really your fault. You gave me the woman who gave it to me. So if you hadn't given her to me, I would never have sinned. And you know, by the way, it's her fault you know, as well. Uh, blaming the righteous is what gets done all the time. Well, if you guys just wouldn't be so judgmental that we wouldn't have any problems around here. You know, as if, when, if there were no Christians around, no good people around, God's laws would disappear. They're not going to disappear. They never will. Even during the tribulation period when Satan is, is reigning and having lots of, lots of uh, authority, God's laws still apply. A lie will still be a lie. Murder will still be a murder. Adultery will be adultery. Fornication will be fornication. Homosexuality will be homosexuality. There just won't be the righteous pointing there, pointing at you and saying, "That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong." But they will still know because the conscience knows when it's doing wrong. It can be seared. It can be done so often that you don't ignore it. But every once in a while, and we all know what that's like—you, we're walking along in sin. You've kind of seared the conscience, but every once in a while, the conscience kind of gets up out from underneath that scar material and says, uh, "I'm still here. <laughs> what you're doing is wrong." And we know that happens because you talk to people who are alcoholics, and every once in a while, they can drink and drink and drink with no problem. But every once in a while, that conscience will stick up and say, "I'm still here." <laughs> You've scorched me. You've you've ignored me, but I am still here. This will always be the case because God has put it in our hearts that it's wrong. So when, when a Christian, a prophet, comes along and says, it is wrong, what we want to do is blame them. If you didn't tell me it was wrong, I just wouldn't have cared, and it wouldn't have bothered me at all. Now you told me it's wrong. It's all your fault. You're causing the problem. And by the way, now you're judging me, so now it's really your problem. And I love his his his, uh, uh, Jeremiah's. I have not troubled Israel. It's not me, but you and your father's house, who have forsaken God, have brought this trouble. All right. Ahab's pointing into him. You said it wasn't going to rain, and now it's not raining. Elijah points right back at him and said, If you hadn't been sinning, I wouldn't have said that there was going to be no rain. So he's pointing right back at Ahab and saying, no, it is your fault. Your fault that God brought this judgment. I was just the messenger. And this is f- for us as Christians to remember. There are times when we're going to tell people, this is sin. Straight up. No judgment. You know, I'm not telling them, you are wrong, you, you, you're, you're, you're awful. But God says, this is sin. And what they're going to do, what they're going to hear is you're a terrible person who's sinning. Not what was said, but that is what they hear. And now you're the awful terrible person. You're the troubler of their soul because you have pointed out their sin. And this is exactly what's going on here. Ahab's saying, You're the you're you're the you're the cause of all, you're the cause of all this three and a half years of, of drought. And theoretically he was, he was speaking for God. But why was he speaking for God? Because Ahab was such an awful terrible person that he spoke the judgment that was due to him. And there are judgments that fall and people have to understand when we sin there is always consequence and the consequences always hurt more than just us. Ahab is leading a really miserable country. He's leading the people into idolatry and the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth and all the other gods out there. And because he's leading them astray, he gets judged and he blames the prophet. But he's hurting the entire nation. And the sin's consequence fell on the nation. David's consequence for sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, the loss of the child, the fact that his son was going to be rebelling against him, that his wives were going to be prosti- prostituted on the on the rooftop, and that's what Absalom did. He had sex with the women, the concubines, on the roof in front of everybody. He says, "You did it in secret. It's going to be displayed openly against you. The sword will never leave your house." And th- so the King David's family always has had trouble with with battles within the house, not just outside, but battles between. His sons and his grandsons. Consequence for sin always happens. And this is what Elijah is telling Ahab no, it's not my fault. You, your consequence, your father's consequence led to this problem. If you had just turned the nation around, there would not have been all of this consequence. One of the things we're seeing in the world today is the consequence of all the sin that's going on and God is intensifying the judgments he's intensifying the weather he's bringing people and saying are you ready to listen now our world is too smart you know we're we're gonna say well no it's global warming It's this that and the other thing Uh, you know these are the reasons we're having all these problems no God is taking his hands of blessing off nations and consequences are falling on these nations it's time to repent if we will repent and he's going to say the same thing to, to Ahab. Ahab, if you will just repent, God will bless. You know, King, King uh, Jeroboam II, if you will just repent, God will, God will bring back good times to you. United States, if you will just repent, we will bring righteousness back to you and God's blessing upon you. This country started with righteous standards and god has protected us against storms and disasters that used to be common in this in this continent if you look back at the ancient Indian stories you'll see all these desire all these forest fires and tsunamis and earthquakes all being recorded in their in their history the united states gets formed following god and all of a sudden for 200 years 250 years things have been calm We're starting to get away from God and we're starting to see all the judgments. It's only going to get worse if we don't repent. This is God's cycle. We see it everywhere in the Bible. People start sinning, they start sinning more and more, and they come to a tipping point where they either repent and go down to the bottom of being blessed or get judged. We in America and most of the world are at that tipping point. Are we going to repent and gain more time by being blessed by God because of repentance, or are we going to go over the edge and be judged? We need to pray hard for revival, because I don't don't really want to live during the time of falling apart. I kind of like living in the the blessings of God, but I'm ready because God will give the grace to face whatever he sends our way. And this is the good news. We have to prepare our hearts for the worst. We pray for the best. We pray for revival. We pray for good things to happen. We pray that the nations will repent and that there will be more time with God. But we also prepare our hearts to be suffering as will be the normal case. And this is where Ahab is with his kingdom right now. He's given an opportunity to repent. Elijah tells him to go out, and he says, you have forsaken God and followed after Baalim, or all the gods. Okay, Baal and the other gods. Uh, He goes, send and gather all of Israel together. And also, uh, to Mount Carmel, which is up on the northwest side of of of, the northern kingdom. And he says, and get all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the 400 prophets of of Astaroth, they, they use here the grove, but that's Astaroth, and bring them. So he's asking for 850 prophets to show up. And the funny thing is that Ahab calls the, calls the, con, the, 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 the congregation together and he calls the prophets of Baal together. We're going to find out that because the uh, 400 are, are under Jezebel, they don't come. So the only ones that are going to show up are the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, but you know, it's just funny. Elijah speaks to a man who hates him, who's looking to kill him, and immediately he does what he's told. Uh, this is one of those things that I find very interesting. Uh, by the way, go out. You know, I know you want to kill me. I know you want to, but go call, go call Israel, all of Israel and go call your prophets to, to come to Mount Carmel, and I'll meet you at Mount Carmel and he goes out and does it you would have thought that he would have just had him arrested or killed on the spot that's what that's been his intention for three and a half years he's wanted to do this he might be remembering one thing though remember what Elijah said when he said there'd be no rain he said there will be no rain until I say so so he may be very fearful of killing Elijah He he may not have believed that there would be no rain when Elijah spoke it, but for three and a half years there's been no rain. And if he killed him, he may never rain. Yeah, that's just it. If I kill this man, It it may never rain again. So there is a little bit of fear of him. He hates this man. He's had trouble in his kingdom because this man said no rain. But yet the idea of him going out and obeying him and gathering all of Israel and all the prophets together Is bizarre it's just it's just one of those very funny things that you read in the scripture and go well God, how in the world did this happen why did this guy listen but you know it's interesting sometimes because you can hear when somebody speaks with the authority of God you can hear that you hear that authority come across and that may have been what also happened here okay he's already fearful of the man but now all of a sudden He's showing no fear. This is why I really don't believe it's just Ahab and just, just uh, Obadiah, no matter how many people are there, he is showing no fear of Ahab. He's not worried that Ahab's going to kill him. He's not worried that Ahab is going to have him arrested or punished or anything. He is in charge. You look at this the statement, he is in charge of everything that's going on. Iyehave I'm here no I'm not the troubler of Israel like you said go call go call everybody and go call the prophets. Is is very reminiscent of when Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was arrested and he was in charge of everything that was happening. A whole mob of soldiers is coming to arrest him who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth I'm he. And they fall down. And he goes, well, who are you seeking, Jesus? I said, I'm he. We're here to arrest you. All right, fine, arrest me, but let these guys go. There was no reason for them to let the disciples go. These are his followers. They got everybody all at one time. They would have killed the entire movement if they had arrested the disciples at the same time. But Jesus, in authority, had said, let them go. And they let him go. He goes into to stand before Pilate, and he's not the subservient, I'm, the, I'm at your mercy person. He is in Pilate's face saying, you know, Pilate goes, well, you know, you're in my hands. And he goes, I, you couldn't do anything to me if it wasn't allowed to you. I can call 10,000 angels to deliver me. Why did Jesus pick 10,000? Because that's an awful small number of angels. But 10,000 was more than the 10 legions of Rome. He says, I can call... My my angelic forces are stronger than anything anything all of Rome can can muster. I've got I've got an army that big. You're not you're not in charge, Pilate. You you are not the one that's controlling all of this. And he keeps always in charge, always in charge. Jesus gave up his life by choice. Elijah's ready. Elijah's like most of these men, you know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, who can deliver you from my hand? And they're going, our God can deliver you, us from your hand, but whether he does or whether he does not, we will not bow to your idol. They were in charge. When God is in you and you are on the right side walking with God, you are in the boldness of God and you technically are in charge of the situation remember we're talking about in Acts where we left off they looked at the Sanhedrin looked at Stephen and they saw the face of an angel he was serene he was calm these guys were all yelling accusations against him and and having a riot against him and he is just sitting there at peace in charge (laughs) and it's an amazing thing when you can be at peace in the middle of chaos I've had it happen to me many times where God okay well I'm just doing what you're saying and be at peace and everything else around you is a storm Jesus walked on the storm on the on the, on the Sea of Galilee and that was when Peter said well that's really you call me out and Peter walked on the storm he was at peace while he looked at Jesus he was in control of what was going on actually God was in control but he was in control by walking at God And we see this all through when we read the different uh, biographies, and we see the people at peace in the middle of a storm. When everything seems to be going wrong, but they know that they're doing what God says to do. There's a story of Brother Andrew, God's smuggler. He goes to Russia to smuggle Bibles, and they decide that where they're going to change the uh, the Bibles out of the car, right in the middle of Red Square park and transfer the Bibles between cars in the middle of everything. Why? Because they were just doing what God said. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. We read the story of Richard Warmbrandt, the pastor in Romania, who was tortured for Christ in the, in the prison camps and he says, "I'm just doing what God says and he had peace. He was at peace witnessing to people on the street when it meant that he could be arrested. He was at peace witnessing to the guards. You know, he he knew that he was doing right and that God was in charge what was the worst thing that could happen he could go home <laughs> and I say worse kind of humanly speaking the worst thing that they, they think they can do to us as a Christian is, is kill us that's just sending us home yeah you know, I used to be more specific the worst they could do to me is almost kill me they could hurt me and that is really the worst that people can do to us they can physically hurt us they kill us we go home they let us go we serve. If they hurt us, then we can be like the prophet, uh, the, the apostles say, Thank God I was worthy of suffering for Christ. And they still don't win. We can be Paul in the, in the, in the Philippian jail at midnight singing praises after having been scourged. You know, you got to think about that. He took a beating, a lashing that normally people would be spending the whole night moaning. And he and Silas are thrown into the prison and they start singing. They're not spending the night moaning and complaining about being beat. They're singing praises to God. And probably driving the other prisoners crazy. What are these fools singing about? They just got beat. And they're singing praises to their God. And they're thinking, what kind of God would put them in prison in the first place? Well, out of that, the Philippian jailer and his family get saved and the church of Philippi in Philippi gets started because they were put into prison. How many of the prisoners got saved, it doesn't tell us, but many of them had to have been touched with these fools singing after having been beat. We don't know. When God puts us in a tough spot and we stay faithful, we don't know what God is going to do from that activity. Many times people are led to Christ because we are faithful during hard times. We, we talk about things. You know, it is wonderful when people go, well, how, how can you handle all this hard thing? Well, because God is still in charge and you get to bring God up. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and he, was, he is a Christian by his profession, but he's very negative about everything and he would say something and go, Isn't it good that God allows us to suffer for him? And he'd say something else. Like, God is so good to allow us to do this stuff. And he'd say something else. I'd like, go, Yeah, God is so wonderful. He goes, Why are you being so positive? I go, Because my God is good and in charge. My God is good and in charge. And by the way, from what you tell me, He's your God. You know, is that our attitude? Are we looking at saying, God, you're in charge. You've put me through what you want me to go through because you have a reason? Or am I going to moan and groan that I'm suffering and obviously God can't have any good reason for me to suffer so I throw Romans 8.28 right out of my Bible and say God you, don't, you, you forgot your verse, you, this is all bad there's no good at all in this so I'm just going to tear that verse out of the Bible and not believe it anymore. This is why it's important for us to grab hold of verses in the Bible that mean something to us and say this is what I hold on to. And it's not going to be the same verse for every single person, it's going to be very different. I love Romans 8.28 because it has gotten me through so many problems. When something bad happens, okay God, I am just waiting to see how you're going to make this one turn out good. God, I can't see how there's anything good in this, but you have promised that there's going to be something good and I'm I'm just waiting to see what you're going to do. That gives you peace. uh, you can grab hold of Second, Thessalon- uh, Second Thessalonians, and it says, "Rejoice in everything. Rejoice, rejoice evermore. Give praise." Man, if we could just learn to praise and give give thanks, it's the same thing I do by going to Romans 8:28, but that's just another verse. If everything I go through, I'm going, "God, thank you," as the prophet, as the apostle said, "Thank you, God, that I was found worthy to suffer. Thank you, God, for what you have done." It is a beautiful thing when we grab hold of the scriptures and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. Elijah's showing that kind of a trust here. It doesn't show us that he was afraid at all, but really there's this trust. I'm going to go stand before the man who wants to kill me, who is the king, who has an army, who can kill me if God allows him to, and he stands up in front of him and, and he stands in charge. And he's telling the king what he's going to do. And he's going to do this all along with, with Ahab. He's going to keep getting in Ahab's face every time he turns around. Uh, Jezebel is not a pushover. Jezebel is a wicked, evil person. He would not have gotten away with this with Jezebel if it had been Jezebel. Well, I'm not going to say he couldn't have. God could still have made it happen. But Jezebel is not the pushover. King, King Ahab is, you know, he's got Obadiah as a, as a, as a servant know standing before him with not honoring not honoring idols and everything and and obviously having to stand out as a God fearer Jezebel on the other hand is not that kind of a person uh, we're gonna see her do evil evil things and God has got a judgment for both of them coming up but Ahab goes out and says, okay Elijah let's see what you've got up your sleeve we're gonna call everybody together yeah you know, again it doesn't make much sense Elijah, you've got some power on your side, so I'm going to gather everybody on your side so that you can convince them to follow God. does not make sense. But he calls them together. Is it that God touched him? Probably. Always remember, God is sovereign and will have his way in the end. He can take away people's free will for a period of time. Ahab might wanted him dead, and God says, nope, you're not going to have him killed. You're going to to do just as he says and call all the people to to Mount Carmel, and he did it. Uh, Saul of Tarsus gets knocked off his horse, called by God, and he says, follow me, and he did it. He could have said no, but nobody in their right mind would have said no when they're blinded by a bright light and talking directly to God. Moses, at the burning bush, tries hard not to obey God, but in the end, obeys God. Because God didn't let him off the hook, he kept pushing him and said, you are doing this. There are times in your life where God may just say, you are going to do this. You are the tool that's going to do this. And you're going to do it kicking, screaming, dragging your feet, just like Jonah did. You know, Jonah runs the other way. God says, no, you're going back that way, and sends him by submarine to, the, to Nineveh uh, and spits him up on the shore. Uh, of course, the submarine wasn't a very nice one. It was a fish. <laughs> uh, but same thing. He was under the water. <laughs> Sent to Nineveh, and he goes and preaches. And his message was not very nice. Repent, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. That was a real strong message. And I'm betting the repent was not very loud. The repent was probably, Repent, you're going to be destroyed. (laughs) Repent, you're going to be destroyed. (laughs) He did not want them to be repent. He did not want to see them not be destroyed. But God had put him there, and his message turned the entire nation to God. Over 100,000 people converted. And Jonah did it out of being forced. So he may not even get a reward for it. Because he had one of the greatest revivals of, of history and did it because God made him do it. So there may not even be a reward for him in that process. How many times have we done something that God has made us do that there may not be any reward for? And it may have been a very good thing. But God says, you are going to do this. Well, no, God not going to do it. You are going to do this. And then we find ourselves doing it anyway. God can and does make things happen. So we're going to leave this here. The people are getting gathered up at Mount Carmel for one of the most fun scripture readings of all scripture readings out there. I love him teasing people and how bold he is and, and attacking these guys and teasing them teasing their God, and trying to get people to turn to God. So uh, we ended at verse 20. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to always seek you and follow you. Help us give us a willing heart to serve you so that we are not having to be compelled to serve you. Teach us to be soft and pliable to your will. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says,